This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 142 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Today we're going to finish our gut check of the 2022 football schedule and switch over and look at the defense position by position after last week's look at the offense. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Again, gut check part two of the 2022 football schedule, the back half of the season. Uh, We're going to start tonight with the game at App State on October 19th. That is a Wednesday night game on ESPN2. And then follow that up with the next game versus Old Dominion in Center Park Stadium on October 29th. And then traveling to Hattiesburg to face Southern Miss on the 5th of November. Back home again versus ULM on the 12th of November at James Madison on November 19th and finishing the season at Marshall on November 26th. So we're going to hit all four of the new Sunbelt members in the back half of the season uh, and then finish off the home schedule with ULM and conference in the middle of November. Gentlemen, let's begin. Yeah, so I think it's fair to say that like the team and the fans, like everyone involved with the program, watching the program the last since the joined the Sunbelt, has the App State game circled. And it's obviously going to stand out as an important game to win if Georgia State has any hopes to win the Sunbelt East because Coastal is the only other team to have won the Sunbelt East other than Appalachian State. And that was just one season. Since the divisions have existed, it's been App State's division. They've reigned supreme. And so if you're going to win the Sunbelt East, you're going to have to go through them. And I think the 2019, sorry, the 2020 game in Boone is going to stand out as one of those like, oh my God, how it could have been because Georgia State was right there. And you can focus on the negative with the losses and that that was a loss that probably could have, should have been a win. But I would focus here and say that three of the last four halves Georgia State's played against Appalachian State, the defense has been very good. It wasn't good enough in that game in 2020. And The second half last year at home went so badly that it ended up being not a very close game. But it's easy to forget that last year was a really tight game at the half that Georgia State didn't really feel like they were in control of, but they were in the game and they had managed the App State offense well enough. And so that's at least a starting point that you feel like you've gotten into where you're able to get them off the field, keep the score low, the way that it's been going the last couple of seasons. And it's going to have to be another one of those games. I don't think you're going to want to go up there and try and get into a shootout. I think it's going to have to be one of those you scrap out. But like I say, for all the reasons, it's kind of kind of be an important one. And to boot, it's nationally televised on a Wednesday. All eyes looking for their college football fix before the weekend hits are going to be watching. And it's going to be one of those where I think people are aware that Georgia State is growing, getting better if they're following college football at all. And if they know that, they definitely are aware that App State is a very good program. And so for all of those people you're trying to get to really recognize Georgia State uh, as on the up and up, it would be an opportunity where you go up and win that game on the road and Boone, people are going to know that matters. And that's a big thing, saying nothing of what it means for the season. I'm so glad you went first because... I feel like I have nothing like super intelligent to add to that simply because like my mantra for App State has been the exact same for the last five years. And I know that they've been playing longer than that, but like you just you have to beat them like it's 
I know that like we talk about the expectations. We talk about the, um, you know, oh, Georgia State wants to be the Sunbelt East representative in the Sunbelt Championship game. And like, yes, win the conference. Like, that's fine. You can't even really talk about those goals until you end the offer. Like, this is the one. Like, yes, there absolutely is a scenario where a one-loss Georgia State to App State still ends up winning the Sun Belt East. Fine. I understand that. But do you really think that's going to feel good to continue this streak? They've never beat App State. Never. And it like, and we're talking about good teams. Like you said, 2020, that game in Boone, Georgia State was right there. They couldn't seal the deal. I remember right after that game was when Georgia State kind of started playing a lot better late in the season because Coach Elliott was like, after the App State game, we started putting our strengths on strengths in practice. And it's kind of been a philosophy that they've had since then. Last year, obviously, you know, the game was in Atlanta. You thought, okay, Georgia State played it really close the year before. And, you know, App State lost some guys. Georgia State, we figured they would have some consistency. And, you know, we know what happened in that second half. It didn't work out for Georgia State. I know that this game is in Boone this year. I understand that. I know that it is incredibly hard for anybody to go up to Boone and win if they're not wearing black and yellow. Georgia State's got to be one of those teams. And I don't know that they're going to do it this year. I think, like you said, Brady, I think everybody's going to always sip that App State Kool-Aid just because they have been the class of the Sun Belt. I think Southern in a tie and Coastal have been the only two teams that have, you know, laid claim to the Sun Belt slash the Sun Belt East since it's been founded. So, but you know it's the same comment that i make every year if georgia state wants to be where they think they want to be they're gonna have to you know what they're gonna have to pull the biggest win in school history and i know that there was the tennessee win and i understand that but i think this is probably even ah, no i can't say that because that was an sec school but the second biggest win in school history would probably be this one and you know, they still have a lot back. Uh, they got Chase Bryce for another year. There's always guys that step up on both sides of the ball for them, which is why they are the program that they are, is that even when they lose in- important players, they immediately replace them with more impact guys. And it's frustrating to no end as other Sunbelt teams. But they did lose two really good receivers in Corey Sutton and Thomas Hennigan. And by the time that these teams play in the middle of October – that probably be a little bit sorted out and they'll have had guys get their reps playing big minutes, playing a lot of snaps, but it is still something where you look at it and you go, okay, I know they're a run first team, but like that is the one thing you could circle this year going in where it's like, is the next guy going to step up and be quite as good as those guys who really were the perfect tandem with the big playability, Corey Sutton, Thomas Hennigan more, uh, he could get big plays, but he also was just really, really lethal in the possession game and intermediate routes and stuff. And, you know, they can't rely on either of those guys for their offense this year. And definitely two comfort blankets for Chase Bryce that are gone. But still, yeah, I said it, their run first team, like it matters to a degree, but you still know you're going to have to stop the run to stop App State. And so in that respects, not a terrible thing for Georgia State because the run defense has been getting better year on year. And we think a lot of the run defense for Georgia State, but something to circle, something to wonder as the season unfolds, how that's going to play out for the Mountaineers. And then, you know, I think fair to say the strangest couple of years for any FBS program in the, in this stretch of time has been Old Dominion, the next opponent of Georgia State's schedule, because 
Uh, they didn't play in 2020. They took the year off because of the pandemic. And uh, it was going to be the first year of Ricky Ronnie as head coach. And so I imagine there was a lot more expectation questions going into 2021 for them. And then, you know, we talked to the Monarchist pod um, back in July. That was a real turnaround for them at the end of last year where they went from two and six and Georgia State's got one of those seasons to claim as well. Two and six to six and six going to a bowl game. They lost to Tulsa in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. And I feel like they're probably coming in with a situation where a lot of people are thinking less of them because Marshall is perceived as better and there's already some established teams in the Sunbelt East. And so I think if you want to look at the biggest chip on the shoulder, it may be just a tie between them and James Madison. And given how the East is going to be every year, I feel like you have to kind of defaultly look at it and be like the teams that are picked lower that are going to have these big chips on their shoulder are some of the more dangerous teams you're going to play. And it's going to be important for Georgia State to get a home win against a team that's probably going to be coming in wanting to show something. And, you know, it's the cliche we always say, but like with the goals Georgia State has, they're just going to have to win their home games. And ODU's in the same category where it's like, I think they're going to be a good team. I think they're going to be hungry, but you're going to have to be hungrier because road games are tough enough. You got to make sure you take care of business at home. I feel like ODU should scare a lot of people. Um, You're absolutely correct. I think obviously they took only 2020 off and you can't really say this because they had the same off season that everybody else had going into 2021. But those first few weeks, they really seemed like a team who kind of forgot how to play football. And, you know, that's not necessarily fair, just given how roster construction. So understandably, like, right. Understandably, like having a year off is like, you can't replicate games and everyone else had a whole number of games. I mean, it was different because teams had different schedules play out. Georgia State played 10 games in 2020, but 10 is a lot more than zero. I mean, one is a lot more than zero in that context. And, you know, you look at the way that the season progressed. They got blown out early on. Okay. And then they kind of had some close losses. Like Buffalo was a one point loss. You know, UTEP, a seven point loss. You know, Marshall, they lost by seven in overtime. Like, it really, you know, then they got blown out by Western Kentucky again. But, like, it really was not like, oh, this team is just bad, bad. And then they started actually winning games. And yes, you know, they were facing some little bit of inferior competition. I understand that. But, you know, you saw them make some growth last year in the same way that we've seen Georgia State do before. And they're bringing a lot of those guys back especially on the defensive side of the ball. I want to give a quick hat hat tip to Scott Watkins, um, beat writer for Southern Miss, because, you know, he kind of clued me in on like a lot. I saw I've seen a lot of predictions where people are really souring on Old Dominion because, oh, you know, the East is a gauntlet. And, you know, and I understand that. But, you know, I feel like people are going to be looking at Old Dominion when the season's over and be like, yeah, they, you know, that that was definitely a bull team given the talent that they have on specifically the defensive side of the ball. There's certainly questions, you know, I think if Georgia State wasn't where they were, because I, I feel like Georgia State is a good sleeper pick for the East, if you will. Um, I think Old Dominion would be another good pick. You know, they could 
you could see App State and Coastal kind of go head to head and Georgia State kind of be up in there. And, you know, you could see a tiebreaker situation where one, two of those teams have two losses and, you know, Old Dominion is standing there looking around like, oh, yeah, okay, we did it. But, I, you know, I don't know. I think you're not I think, picking them, but I'm you not would pick them. Correct. Yes. I, I think Old Dominion is going to be better than a lot of the predictions I've seen floating out there because a lot of people are having them. Like I've seen people have James Madison above Old Dominion. I, I just I can't agree that that's going to happen. I, I'm sorry. I can't. You know, like I think like this schedule is not great. I mean, you know, Virginia Tech, Virginia, East Carolina is kind of whatever. But like I, I think Old Dominion could be pretty good this year, truthfully. Well, and the thing we haven't really talked about with the East is just the way football works. I mean, Georgia State's been on the losing end of some rough games that just could have gone your way down the stretch. We talked about the App State game in 2020, Louisiana last year, another one where you just feel like you really had it in your grasp. And it might just be that when the East plays each other, there's a lot of those games and there might be a team that goes like four and eight that lose a handful of games like that. And it might be like that every year where there's just going to be a hard luck team that loses a lot of close games. And it might not be any reflection of how good or bad they are. And it's, you know, it might be any of the team. It's hard to say that a team like App State is going to suddenly only win four games because that's not been how they've ever been. And that would be, you know, such this disappointment. But it really will be one of those things that is how the football gods dictate the games go and it it might be a team just has a really rough record and you look at it and go oh that's really just that's just so unfair and you know it could be georgia state it could be any one of the teams in the sunbelt east that's just the nature of this new division that there's going to be a lot of hard-fought games and i expect that that's going to be one of them and you mentioned scott so it works out perfectly with a segue with the schedule that next team is the team he's currently covering with southern miss on the road on november 5th and you know, for all that you said about Old Dominion, I've got similar thoughts about Southern Miss, especially because they're the only new team joining in the Sunbelt West, which I think is entirely more wide open. Uh, we've talked about it a couple of times as the season's played out that Louisiana might still be there and the Alabama schools might be the ones looking to fill the gap and maybe surpass the Cajuns, but it still doesn't feel like anyone really is a real bet to do that. And Southern Miss got better as the season went on last year, even as they were experimenting with the super back and having running backs like Frank Gore Jr. play quarterback effectively. Uh, you know, they were going through that and yet they were playing well. And, it, and I talked about this when we talked to the buzzardry guys from Southern Miss that when you're winning games like that with such a handicap where you're having trouble keeping quarterbacks healthy and on the field, and yet you're still going into looking like the team that's trying to compete for bowl games. It feels like you've got the right guy in charge. And so that's Will Hall, their head coach. I think he is a good coach. I think he's got them trending up. And for the same place, Georgia State might be at the beginning of November where they're looking to get bowl eligible or looking to fight for the Sunbelt East. You know, Southern Miss might be in the same spot. And they have hit one of the only rough patches as a football program that they've had. They've had a lot of historic success dating back to the second world war and on. And so they're going to maybe be in a situation where they're at four or five wins heading into that game. And like, it really matters. Like they really want that bull success, especially in year one of a new conference. And so I've got that one circled as just like a real danger game. Every road game's tough. And that one is a football hungry program that 
wants to taste success again. And by that point in the season, they might have a head of steam. Oof. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Southern Miss. Um, I think, yeah, the, the whole quarterback thing last year was like kind of funny to a point, but it was also kind of sad because of the results. Like it definitely, like I feel for Southern Miss fans, like that's not obviously a situation that you want. Um, I think they're a little bit better than they were last year. And I think like their record last year, they won three games and I think they probably could have, you know, with, with a quarterback and with some stable quarterback play, I think they were good enough to be in a lot more games than they ended up being in. Um, because there, I mean, there's pieces around the team, obviously. Um, I think that, I think there'll be a solid bull team pushing bull eligibility. Um, and like you said, the West is, I don't know what the West is. It's, it's not like the gauntlet the East is, but like, again, you could probably convince me that Southern Miss could still win the West. I think like, I, I don't think that you would have to take that hard. It wouldn't be that hard for you to convince me. Um, but like off the top of my head, I still, I, okay. I feel like they're they're going to be their ceiling next year, this year, excuse me, is that Arkansas State tier where it's like, yeah, you know, there's probably going to be one side of the ball that's way better than the other side of the ball. And, you know, for a few weeks in the middle of the season, they'll be like, yeah, we're threatening for the Sun Belt, you know, division crown. But by the end of the season, they're going to just get blown out by a team that they probably shouldn't have been and then inevitably lose to the winner. But like they could be good. Is that that's what I will say. There we go. Yeah, and you know, I don't take any pleasure in you know talking ULM in any kind of like negative light because Terry Bowden, really likable guy to have joined the program, and they were really close there uh, to kind of hitting a stretch of successful football for a program that's not had a lot of it. You know, it's kind of the, the polar opposite where they've had years rather than periods of time where they've been good. And it kind of fell off again at the end of the Viator era in Monroe. And Terry, Terry Bowden had a lot of fun in one game last year where they uh, took down the mighty and arrogant and all the words, Liberty Flames in Monroe. Georgia State's played them the last few years and kind of handled them. Uh, it, even the 2018 to, sorry, even the 2018 team that only won the two games, one of their wins was against... Monroe and it wasn't close 46 14 a home game back in 2018 and I don't think they played particularly great either of the last two years against Monroe um, but they got the job done and in comfortable fashion by the end I say that they scored 56 or sorry 55 points uh, because Jordan jinxed the extra point and so Georgia State didn't tie the all-time record there Uh, but they scored 55 last year but even in that game there were moments early where they were playing themselves into trouble and they got past that in 2020 they were up big at the half and just kind of didn't play great in the second half and it was kind of a game but it's a team that you've looked really good against or you know at, at least on the scoreboard looked good against the last few years and so again it's senior day it's a team that you've handled in recent years you know god love them but i think you've got to chalk up that as a win against the warhawks in november the sad part is, is I think you're underselling Georgia State's dominance against ULM of the past like few years. 
if Dan doesn't tear his ACL in 20, uh, what was that, 2019? Yeah. They, Georgia State probably has a five game winning streak against ULM. And like with a like bright eyed, bushy tailed quad brown, I, Georgia State still only lost that game by 14. The defense was like fine, but the, the offense just could not move the ball because, oh no, the backup quarterback was struggling after the starter got hurt. And like Dan, like Dan was moving the ball pretty well before he got hurt. Like it wasn't like Georgia State was struggling to score. Um, so. But yeah, this um, unless there is some ULM team that I'm not aware of, this is probably just going to need to be another one of those Georgia State has to take care of business and, you know, do it pretty, pretty handily. And it's weird to have a senior day so early because there's two weeks after they're both road games. And so that's the last home game. It's going to feel like a weird schedule in that regard because of there's three home games in the first four games and one of them on a, the the last one of those is on a Thursday. So it's even going to be even more compressed. There's games on the 10th on the 17th and then on the Thursday after that. And it's, it's going to feel like a really weird season. You know, it's going to be a weird season as far as home schedule, because there's going to be a big gap. Then October is going to hit. There's going to be another pretty big gap between the 8th and the 29th and then another week off and then the last home game and then the final two road games against two more newbies in a James Madison on the 19th and Marshall on the 26th and yeah I said finally uh, filling out the teases to the previous interviews we did we t- I talked about this with the JMU sports blog guys when we talked to them is that I have questions about who this James Madison team is going to be, how they're going to make the transition. And those will all be answered by the time we actually get to that game, because it'll be the penultimate game of the season. Um, As things stand, they had let us know, you know, they feel like they're closer to the FBS scholarship level than maybe other teams would have been because of the COVID year, because they are probably in like the 70 range this past season when they played FCS. I still think there's a transition there personally. Like I think it does, a transition even as championship level as they were at FCS. And I just don't think that it's the same Sunbelt that the App States and the Georgia Southerns joined, that it was a lot easier for those teams to come in and be good and take control. I just don't think that that is the same Sunbelt that they're joining now where there's already some established teams and especially some established teams that like, I don't want to say those games are circled, but I don't think anyone wants to lose the FCS team. And I think people are going to have some pride in being like, we've been these solid programs. We can't let these new programs come in and take us down. Um, that might be fantasy tough that like, that's the type of bulletin board material that doesn't exist in actual college football programs. I might be just going off piece here, but I feel like maybe there's something to that where it's, it's not like a circle game, but it's like no one wants to lose the, the FCS transition personally, you know, especially they don't want to have them win the Sunbelt East. And so, We'll see how that shakes out. I think they're still settling on the quarterback, and that's always a an interesting endeavor when you're not set on a quarterback. But we'll know by November, and still a road game. It's still a road game, and depending on how the season goes for Georgia State, these last couple of games might be trying to get into a bowl game, might be trying to solidify whatever final result they're hoping for, and you know, going to be a slugfest. 
your FBS to FCS comment is absolutely true. I remember there was a lot of people talking about South Alabama when, you know, they kind of made the transition around the time Georgia state did. And the, you know, people want to beat on the FCS to FBS team. Like that's absolutely a thing. And I think there's going to be a big motivating factor for a lot of teams when they face JMU. Um, I feel, I feel a little bit more down on JMU than a lot of people are. And I understand the pedigree there. I understand that they're good, but it's not them that I'm worried about or fearful of. It's, I think you made a great point. It's the fact that the Sunbelt is so much better. You know, they could, they could legitimately start off two and O because their first two games are MTSU and Norfolk stake. They could start off two and O you know, then they go to App State, then face Texas State, and they could they could go three and one in that stretch. And I feel like you could t- you could easily convince me that they wouldn't win a single other game after that. And that's not to say that they're a bad team. They might lose all those games by three points in each and every one of them, one point in each and every one of them. But it is such a better conference now than when Georgia State first moved up, than when App State and Southern moved up, you know, Coastal when they moved up, that it's just it's really college football is really hard, you know, and I don't know. Like, I, I think they are definitely a little bit lower on the totem pole and, you know, Hey, old takes exposed me. If I, you know, if, if that's the case, then they happen to win the Sun Belt East because that's just the type of program that they have. But I, I feel like it's going to be a struggle for them at least this year. And then we can reevaluate that going into next year. Yeah. Medium to long term, I think, they're a good program and I think that they're going to get to that level. I think Signetti's a good coach and yeah. they've built something really good there. It's just, it's a transition and it just it is what it is. And the Sunbelt East teams are not going to make it easy on them. And you can't ignore the fact that it is a transition. Like I think Coastal is a lot closer because of their more recent jump than say like a Georgia State and all that. And, you know, like you could tell me and I would believe it. GMU could go winless in conference play this year and then go win the conference next year. I'd absolutely believe it, given the pedigree that's there at the school. I just, I can't, I got to see them on the field and I have to see what that transition looks like for them because it looks different for every, every single team that comes up from that level. And the final team on the schedule, as things look right now, will kind of be a team in the same kind of mold as Georgia State in Marshall. They've got a tremendous running back, Rasheen Ali. And so I, I wonder how that game is going to shake out. Um, final game of the year, there might be a lot of implications galore in that one. And it might just be two teams that are just going hard nose, physical, trying to pound the rock. And so I feel like if you had to pull Coach Elliott, it might be one of the games he's looking forward to because I think that's the type of football that he loves to see play out. Uh, I'd... Again, Marshall's got a kind of a quarterback thing going on where they lost their starter, Grant Wells, who just got named the starter at Virginia Tech. So seems like on balance, a move that made a lot of sense for him if he was able to go and in the first offseason earn the starter job at an ACC school. But, you know, quarterback position influx is always a dangerous set of words for a college football program. And so how that plays out is going to largely affect Marshall's track in year one of the Sun Belt. But it's another program that has been used to winning under the last coach, Doc Holiday, and even continuing on with Charles Huff as head coach now. And it's a proud program. It's a road game. So all of those factors and the fact that if you look at it as they have a really good running back, 
and that might be what they're looking to do. It's a team that can out Georgia State, Georgia State. Even if it's just the game, they're, they're trying to do it the same way Georgia State's doing. Like it's two teams trying to be rugged and run the ball. They could do it. Like they could outdo Georgia State in that regard. And so those are the tough ones because it's like, you know, maybe what both teams are going to try and do. And they might be able to outdo it. And I feel like I've said outdo like five times in the last minute, but like it's a game that Georgia State might be ready for and might be up for and just might be one of those that goes 2017 the other way because it's just football's football. I think Marshall's good. Like, I, I think I, I don't know how good because I feel like Marshall could definitely be the first winner. Uh, the I think Marshall is better than a lot of people want to give them credit. And like, I think obviously app state is the one that runs the division. And, you know, we know that we talked about that already, but it really would not shock me if Marshall was the team that came in this year and was just like, yeah, you know what? We're going to take care of business. We've got really good home matchups. You know, they host app state this year. They host Georgia state at the very end of the year. They also host coastal. So, you know, and yeah, and Louisiana. So like, I think the way that the schedule kind of fell into their lap, I think it's very, very easy for Marshall to be the team that is representing the East in the Sunbelt championship game this year because of just how they host all of the quote unquote good schools. The conference games that they have to go to on the road are, you know, I mean, they're, it's not it's not easy necessarily like georgia southern should be better sort of but you know they might not be there where they want to be yet we just talked about james madison and you know i think troy might be good and that'll be a good like conference opening test for marshall but i think marshall will get that kind of late head of steam just because of when they have to host these teams you know, and I mean, when you're playing better competition and you're seeing how a Notre Dame gets to play football and, you know, like they're going to be a team with t- conference, excuse me, college football title aspirations. So, you know, when they're we kind of talk about that with basketball, the better competition that you're playing usually kind of means something good and it allows you to see what other teams are doing. So, you know, I, I could easily see Marshall being a team that's in the Sunbelt title game this year. And so just kind of putting a pin on the whole ordeal. I mean, last year, I think we we did straight win-loss, win-loss throughout it. And aside from it making us look kind of <laughs> rough at the beginning of the season when things weren't going well, it's just so much harder to project this year. And I think the takeaway is just like you look at the schedule and especially once it hits conference play. And I just feel like it's going to be a lot of slugfest and slobber knockers and tough games that you're going to have to grit out to win. And I think that's just the takeaway from the new Sunbelt is that you're not going to go into seasons feeling like you've got a handle on these games are going to go your way. These ones aren't, it's going to be a lot like when you have in the top conferences that you look at year in year where there's different people challenging for the top. And obviously there's more CFP complicated. There's more CFP implications for some of the top conferences than there is in Sunbelt. But I think it's the same way where any year you could have these this team that's been good be the next one to be the great team. And it's going to be exciting to see how it shakes out. I mean, yeah, like that's absolutely how the top four conferences are. And this is where you want to be, you know, like I think the 
it sucks for schools to not be able to have like an Alabama type run where you're just running your conference. But, you know, there are still some conferences that allow teams to just kind of be division dominant and be, you know, nationally dominant. And I think there's a lot of good football to be played in the Sun Belt, both this year and in the future. And I mean, like, it's an exciting time. You know, we we spend so much time, and I think a lot of Georgia State fans spent time thinking, man, Georgia State's going to be a great addition to the American Conference. And, you know, this will be the first season that we can really put to test. Like, okay, is the Sun Belt ready to kind of take the reins from, you know, the American Conference? And, and I know the American's not changing this year like the Sun Belt is, but I think this will be this will be that first step, that first domino where we look at the American conference and say, yeah, the rain's over. It's it's not going to last once these guys leave. All right. So we will see as the season progresses just how our gut check feelings uh, play out. Last year was really fun to uh, track like uh, I think it was Brady said uh, started off kind of rough, but we'll see how that goes. But let's go ahead and move on to the second half of the, this week's podcast with the defensive positionals right here. We've got a uh, defensive line, linebackers, cornerbacks, safeties, and special teams. So gentlemen, let's go ahead and start off with the defensive line. Oh Lord, <laughs> this is, this is the position group. I'm not starting, but this is, this is probably the best position group on the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, say something that. of that line as well because it's it's been sneaky because I think because Coach Elliott's an offensive line guy that that is the thing that gets singled out is like look at the thing that has been so developed and under the radar. It's not even just the performance, but it's the number of different guys on the defensive line that you're starting to really see perform. Like obviously Dante Wilson and Hardrick Willis are both no longer they've exhausted their eligibility, but they were the first wave of new recruits under this new defensive system under Coach Fuquay that it put up real numbers. And then you had guys like Jordan Strawn come in and he's obviously a South Carolina now, but he was NCAA leader in sacks in 2020. And now Jamil Muhammad uh, grouping the outside linebacker rush ends with the defensive line, kind of a weird nebulous. Like they're both, they're neither. uh, We'll include them in the defensive line for the purpose of this, because we're going to be talking about guys getting after the quarterback and playing in the run game like that. And Jamil, I mean, what he's done becoming an outside linebacker after being an inside linebacker, after being a quarterback, after being at an SEC school, I mean, the mentality he's brought to it is shown in the ability to make plays, especially in the latter half of last season. And he's the guy I think we're all really excited to see what happens in the first full year where he's going to be the starter of that position and see what he makes of it. And there's other guys, you know, Thomas Gore, I don't know how many snaps he played. Like we don't have an official snap count, but one guys who play like the nose guard, defensive end don't usually rate near the team's top tacklers no matter what just because it usually is guys that are in the linebacking core in the safety core and Thomas Gore was in the top five of the team in tackles and he played maybe 30 40 percent of the snaps on defense like he made so much of the minutes that he played and really is a guy now that he's going to be the starter and so you're thinking you're going to get a guy who already was really productive with the not majority snaps that he played, and he's going to be the guy in the middle. And that's going to be really exciting to see what that looks like in the future. And you no, know, can you keep going. Akeem Smith has been quietly just really good as 
kind of the backup of that nose guard position and he'll be back. And Javon Dennis was a guy that coach Elliott specifically talked about is really, he expects to take a step this year um, when we talked to him in media day. And so another guy and, you know, could keep going at all, all the positions, all the defensive line. And it's just a, the thing that is impressive is that you have standout performances, especially the outside linebackers position where I think when guys are doing their job, those guys coming off the end get to reap a lot of the rewards, but there are just so many names and it's such a deep group. And that's what it has to be like it defensive and offensive line. You get your strength from having depths where if you have different packages, you use different guys for, if there's injuries or whatever, there's no drop off. And I think whether or not it's the best position, I mean, there's a lot of talent. It's definitely the deepest and we're going to see the most names contribute from the defensive line. And, it's been more low key than the offensive line, but an impressive job of just building up that part of the roster from this coaching staff. And I, like, I'm not going to keep going, but I'm looking at just the list of guys who have like defensive line next to them or defensive end. And we, there are plenty of guys we didn't even mention who are starting caliber defensive ends, defensive linemen like this, this group is so deep. And yes, you know, I think, there's one thing that we've talked about over the last few years that needs to improve for Georgia State, and that's the defensive line being impactful on plays where they don't get home and finding ways to affect different plays. You know, I think there are times where, yes, they're getting sacks. They'll get, you know, four sacks in the game, five sacks in the game. But on drives where they're not getting sacks, they're not being impactful. Um but I think this year is another opportunity for, you know, that kind of, we, we, you know, we talk about the depth, but it's not just the depth that's there this year. It's the actual skill. You know, when you talk about Mohammed, when you talk about Smith, when you talk about, you know, Thomas Gore, like it's, it's getting to the point where the depth is as good as some of the other defensive lines starting in the Sun Belt and like good defensive lines, you know, and, and so when you have, when you continue to move the needle, like, okay, the guys who are there are truthfully that elite, like it, it truthfully could be scary hours for a lot of teams that are trying to pass, you know, passing 40 times a game is not going to work against Georgia state because the defensive line is just going to be in your face all 60 minutes, you know, running the ball, the nose tackles at Georgia state. It's just, it's not going to go well for a lot of teams. And I mean, and it's, it's, it's kind of like the offensive line. It really just showed up one day. I think the defensive line showed up a little bit later than the offensive line did at Georgia state in terms of, you know, when coach Elliott took over, but since it's been here, it's been one of, if not the best unit on the field and it's gotten better each and every year, even if they're not necessarily breaking the sack record every single year, but I feel like they have actually, now that I say that I'm pretty sure they pushed it. Yeah. Back in to like, back years and yeah, for losses. Yeah. 2021, they said it. And, and 2020. Then, yeah. Yep. So, it's you know it's an incredible group it's going to continue to get better and you know obviously we hope there are no injuries but if there are i I, you know i feel confident that there's not going to be much drop off if any and there's a lot of guys like sophomores freshmen redshirt freshmen touted recruits that haven't had an opportunity to play and given the guys they've been able to recruit like that before like thomas gore was that guy and then he started playing and making a lot of plays and so there's probably at least one or two in the defensive line group that we haven't talked about that we haven't seen play that is going to be a contributor because it's going to they're going to get on the field and it's like oh this guy's got to stay on the field 
And I look forward to finding out which one of those guys it is because I'm sure it's going to happen. It's happened basically each of the last three seasons with the defensive line. And we didn't talk as much about the run stopping part of it, but we can kind of group that in with the defense, with the defensive line and also the linebackers because, you know, the Auburn game didn't go the way that anyone was hoping for, especially how it could have gone in the Georgia State side. But I felt like in the first half, I was watching just like a symphony with the way that the running game of Auburn was getting stopped, big losses. You had both Blake Carroll and Jordan Venziel just shooting gaps like crazy and picking the right gaps and picking their timing exactly right and getting a lot of big stops and short yardage plays. And I just think, you know, it's a lot less of a deep group as far as like, as long as everyone stays healthy, the biggest guys are going to just be Carol and Benziao again. Like as long as they are staying on the field and they're guys that don't take off a lot of snaps, they're both in there a lot of the game. It's not going to be as deep of a group, but kind of the perfect pairing in the middle. And there's been times where George States had one really good linebacker and the next really good linebacker was the, in the other spot and he wasn't nearly as impactful as he was going to be. And I think George States in his place right now where those two guys are really peaking as players at the same time. And that's really, really useful because a lot's asked of the middle linebackers in coach Fuquay's scheme, just eating up tackles, being in the right place and making plays. Yeah, I, I want to bring it back to the Venzial and Carroll comments just because I think they're both incredibly talented linebackers. And I think the one thing that I want to see specifically from Venzial is playing the entirety of the game. You know, I, I don't think it's a fatigue thing because it's not. I, I think teams kind of in the second half just do different things to kind of take those specific members of the Georgia State defense out. But there are a lot of times in the first half of games, there were a lot of times last year where you're right. Venzial's coming in, shooting through holes and making, you know, Brian Erlacher-esque tackles. And then, you know, you kind of look up in the second half and we're deep into the fourth quarter. And it's like, I feel like I haven't called his name in a while, you know. And Carroll, I think, is another guy who does that where he just kind of lives in the offensive backfield and, you know, every, he kind of does what um, Jamil Mohammed does. in just the sense that when he kind of turns the light switch on, he's making play after play after play, but there are times where he's not doing that. And especially when he's, you know, being asked to cover some, some bigger guys, some faster guys, it does lead to, you know, the scheme kind of breaking down. And I think that's one area where I do want to see the middle, the inside linebackers be a little bit better because there's definitely talent, you know, there's definitely talent. It's not as deep a group, but they're, they definitely are a group that it's, I'm not worried about the group necessarily. I just want to see 60 minutes of play instead of 35, 40 minutes of play. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot about just the prowess that's come in the front of the defense. And I don't want to turn it immediately into like the opposite with the secondary, especially because the single most talented player, maybe on George State's entire team, but especially on the defense is probably Antavius Lane safety. Um, but I think that there's been times where when the pass rush hasn't gotten home or maybe hasn't gotten home quick enough and guys are having to be out in routes for a long time it makes it seem like it's the secondary's fault. And that's just kind of the nature of football. It's why when you're blitzing, if you don't get home, if a guy's in single coverage and doesn't have any help over the top, like 
that is when you get picked apart as a secondary. And that's happened a few times to State over the years. It's really the only time where they really give up big plays is where a guy is just left in single coverage and he gets, gets beaten his coverage, which is going to happen to you. But, you know, it's another year where Georgia State doesn't really lose anyone from this cornerbacks group. You know, Quay White's back, Brequise Brown's back, Jalen Jones is back in his sixth year. And there's some young guys that have come in that, you know, there's not really spots for them yet because guys can keep staying. But I think it's a positive because, you know, especially I think Brequise Brown was coming on strong last year and offered a lot and got an interception in that uh, Arkansas State game, I believe. And I think if you're looking for one thing from the secondary, but especially the cornerbacks, is more plays like that, getting interceptions, getting big returns. And so I kind of, you know, that's the cliche to go with with cornerbacks, just like just get interceptions. Like obviously it's it's a lot easier said than done, but I think if the, you have the situations where single coverages might be happening, you have the big plays, you always get the chance to balance it out if you're able to get picks of your own, where if you have a couple of big picks yourself, people maybe forget the times where you got beaten coverage. Um, and if you don't, you don't have anything to fall back on like that. It's like, that's what people's, it's what's going to stick in people's memories. You heard it here first, folks. Brady just said, get the turnovers. That's it. You know, that's somebody hire him to be your DC. <laughs> but I mean, he's right. Like that's, that is essentially what you want those, you know, those bigger defensive backs to be. And I think we've started to see Georgia State being better at that. You know, I, I know that they would they go like four or five games to open the season last year without a pick. But I don't think it was necessarily because the defensive backs were playing poorly. It was kind of just one of those things where it's like it just hasn't happened. And then it came in bunches. You know, I think by the end of the season, they finished with a, a very respectable interception number. You know, you want to see it flatten out. And yeah, you want to see it flatten out. You know, if you're going to get around a little less than a pick a game, have an actual pick a game, because that usually means that you're being more impactful on the defensive end. But, you know, there is definitely going to be some guys who are, making plays in the secondary. I mean, I don't need to talk about Ant Lane. We know that Ant Lane is going to be making plays. As long as he's healthy, he's going to be there. You know, I really like what I saw out of Quay White last year, just the growth that he had. You know, there were times where he got beat. You know, that's always kind of been something that he's done. But I think his on-ball skills were a lot better last year. And, you know, there are some backups that I like. There's Bryquise Brown. Oh, well, if he starts, I shouldn't say that. But, you know, there there are other guys in the secondary who you could point to. Jalen Jones is one of them. You know, there's other guys who are capable of making just as many plays as Ant Lane that, you know, don't have the, necessarily the same recognition. But I, I think the secondary will be fine. I really do. They, they're, they're probably the weakest group, I would say, on the defensive side of the ball. But that doesn't mean that there isn't talent there. And that's just because I th- like I think Georgia State has, if not the best defensive line in the Sun Belt, like I, I don't think there's two defensive lines that are better. There might be one, but I, I don't think there's two. I think you could maybe make a case that the linebackers, just because of what the outside linebackers do and because of what the inside linebackers are capable of doing, you could probably make the case that they're a little bit better than the Georgia State secondary. But I, I, like, I, I think this is still going to be a very good secondary. Yeah, the thing with the defense is just, and some of it was level of competition, and that's still going to be a problem in the early days. It's just, they didn't get much help with the offense uh, when Quad was struggling as quarterback last year, but 
I think seeing it early and maybe being the force in games early is going to be important. And, you know, I say that because the offense was still not firing on all cylinders in the Charlotte game last year. And I think the defense just willed that to happen. I mean, they held Charlotte to nine. Really, they held Charlotte to seven because two of the points was on a really dinky safety that the offense had happen. And it was just one play. And I remember just how of all of the games last year, that was one where you could just feel that the defense wasn't going to let the run game of Charlotte dictate anything. And that happened in a few other games last year. And just in general, the run defense has been just a solid thing that George State can rely on. And so I think in the early season, just not having similar games to where like North Carolina last year, where just big plays happen and things spiraled is going to be important. But, you know, if you, as you look at it, there's so many run teams in the Sun Belt and that are going to be on Georgia State's schedule this year that that being a strength gives you a lot of faith. And the ability of the front to make plays also gives you faith in that even if teams are dropping back pass, that you feel like there's guys who can get after the quarterback. And, you know, at the end of the day, secondaries have a thankless job because if the pass rush isn't getting home and quarterbacks have time, like they're going to make a lot of plays. Like that is just the truth of it is that the reason that a lot of defenses don't give up a lot of plays is because their pass rush is so just in your face and getting in the backfield all game that quarterbacks don't have a time to pick you apart. And so as long as that part of the defense is just there and making the plays, as we saw a lot in the backstretch last year, they're going to be in a good place. And the running game, again, you feel pretty good against most teams that when you line up against them, pretty much any team on the schedule that you line up against them, that the Georgia State defense is not going to just get beat off the ball running the ball. And it's the thing that Coach Elliott's wanted to instill on both sides of the ball, and I think that's really taken hold. And that's why I think we feel pretty bullish about Georgia State chances in 2022 because – you can control the ground in both sides of the ball. You're going to be in a good spot. And I say, I both, I say both sides of the ball. There's a third side of the ball and it's the one where we might see more plays than we've seen before because, you know, catch coach Elliott's made a point of saying that they brought in a special teams coordinator to have an impact and to change the way that they've done returning the ball or lack thereof returning the ball lining up some pump blocks and trying to make impact plays. And that is kind of the silver bullet in a lot of these close games where it'll come down to a special teams play that one of the teams makes that the other one doesn't, or a team who is primed to take advantage of another team making a special team mistake. And thirdly, not making the special team mistake yourself. And so I think it's music to a lot of people's ears when coach Elliott said that type of stuff, and we'll see how it shapes as the season goes on. But you know, before we even talk about like the place kicking the punting or whatever, like that is obviously going to be the thing a lot of people are watching this year because if it's true, it's going to be a departure and it's going to be maybe the one big thing people are looking for from Georgia State. It's just making more plays and trying to make that impact in special teams. And that's important. That's very important. You know, the people will look at punting and say, oh, college kickers and all that stuff. But that wins you games. That absolutely wins you games. Having a reliable kicking game, having a reliable punter, a, a reliable punt protection unit, having a good long snapper, having a good holder. You know, I think Georgia State has been a little bit spoiled in the kicking game the last 
you know, I think, I guess, four years. You know, Brandon Wright was very good. Noel Ruiz was very good. You know, and I think it's just going to continue to be something that's important. But I think it's it is arguably more important that Georgia State did bring in a coordinator finally to kind of spearhead some of these decisions because Georgia State has has been a negative in the past in the special teams game and good teams let special teams be a positive they don't let them be a negative they don't let it be neutral and as Georgia State's gotten better they've gone away from letting it be a negative and put it as a neutral but now it needs to be a positive they need to be returning kicks and you know starting drives on the 40 instead of starting every drive on the 25, you know, making the field shorter for the offense. They need to be, you know, continuing to have their punts flip the field, continuing to not have their kicks blocked. And I feel like they've done a much better job of that the last few years versus years prior. But, you know, like I said, it's just, it's something they're going to continue to have to work on. So I definitely welcome the addition of the special teams coordinator. We've been talking about it on the pod for literal years. And, you know, with the kicker and punter, it sounds like as things stand now, it's going to be all Michael Hayes' job. And having it be one guy does worry me a little bit just because that's a lot of just work. That's a lot of effort that you're going to have to do game in, game out. It's a reason why you have the two specialists is that you can have guys focus and not have all of that on their plate. But as it stands, I think they tried to get a few more you know, another Noel Ruiz, another transfer in didn't pan out. They didn't end up getting any scholarship kickers come in in the summer. And so I think it was just a case of the guys who were here, but it is a guy that they recruited to do this. And so in each of the individual disciplines, both kicking and punting, I feel like we've seen stride from Michael Hayes and we don't really know how he is as a place kicker because it's been Noel's job the last two seasons, but yeah, on the faith of he's continued to grow, continue to get stronger, continue to practice it, and now he's you know, middle middle of his time at Georgia State. I don't feel like I'm worried about it necessarily. I don't, we don't know what his length is. We'll see what that is as the season goes out and see where Coach Elliott feels comfortable having his kickers go. Uh, but it, the combination of it does worry me a little bit just because it's a lot to ask of one guy, and we'll see how long that lasts if there's any troubles in either facets of the game. But different than the last couple of years, which is to say, I think that it's possible that as soon as the season ends this year, we have another situation where Coach Elliott is desperately like, all right, let's go get a kicker now. Let's not get beat to the punch by anybody because I think that Noel Ruiz was a nice security blanket that you could pretty much pencil him in for any comfortable range in the 30s, the 40s, and he had 50 in his leg. And, you know, questions may come up as far as that goes. And it might be that the answer is just that if there's any like fourth and manageable inside the 40, inside the 45, that Coach Elliott's just going to go for it, which we kind of know he wants to do anyway. Like that is his nature. And so it might just be that this just plays into him wanting to be kind of aggressive and trusting his run game anyway. But definitely the one thing to monitor for me with the special teams, the, the traditional special teams is just what having one person do it again turns into because I think it took a little bit away from Will Lutz when he was doing both at Georgia State. I think it probably added a lot on Brandon Wright's plate when he was doing both at Georgia State. And so we will see how it takes out for Michael Hayes. All right. So final news item for football this week. Uh, well, last week, really, the athletics announced an open practice for the fans. Uh, free of charge, free parking in the green lot opens at 6 p.m. 
Uh, gates open stadium at 6 p.m. as well. Practice begins at 7. And then after the game, they're going to have a cinema under the stars showing Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness on the big screen. Uh, this is an event they've done a couple times before. It seems like it's been a pretty good success with the uh, new incoming students and some fans coming up as well. So if you feel so inclined, go believe on. it is the first time they are merging it with the football practice, which is a good move. Oh, that's right. Because one of the previous ones was a is like a pep rally type of thing for the students. And then they had they had some other thing. I think it was a 2019, maybe where they did show a movie. It might have been a it was after some other type of football event. But yeah, this should be a good time. Uh, come out, see the team and uh, get a taste of some of that good stuff. Uh, we're going to make an effort to be there and give reports and we'll uh, hopefully see you there. And then, of course, we do have a couple of basketball news items. Most of this coming up uh, pretty much today as of the recording of this podcast. First up, former Panther standout Devin Mitchell is joining Ron Hunter's staff down at Tulane as the assistant director of player development. So congrats to Devin. That's a fantastic move for him. And then also, we just found out this afternoon, former Georgia State star guard Corey Allen has inked a deal to play professionally in Lithuania. So congrats to Corey on that move in his professional career. And then we also have news that Middle Georgia State will be joining the non-conference schedule playing in the new Convocation Center on December 1st. That's a team that we've seen several times before. Helps fill out a little bit of the uh, early season schedule for the Panthers. But that is all we've got for you this week. Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, We'll be right back at it again next week with more Georgia State sports news as Uh, Fall practice winds down and the season begins to take shape. So again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you in the next one. Bye-bye.